Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 179 of Dogcast Radio, which along with all our other episodes can be found at our website www.dogcastradio.com where you can also read our blog, see lots of cute doggy photos and read book reviews and articles too. In this show we talk to veterinarian Deirdre Caramonti about how we can help our dogs through surgery. It is important to understand that your veterinarian is there to absolutely help your pet, their patient and you. But before that we have an interview about an issue which affects many of us and our dogs on a daily basis. Tony Shelbourne has spoken on the show before about her work with wolves, about Tellington Touch and about her series of books which each focus on one subject in depth. So, without more ado, on to the latest subject. Today I'm talking to Tony Shelbourne about her new book co-authored with Karen Bush, Help My Dog Doesn't Travel Well in the Car, Solving Motion Sickness and Other Travelling Issues. Good morning, Tony. Morning. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. Good, good. Me too, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about this, because this is a problem that a lot of people have, isn't it, with their dog not travelling very well? It is. It's more common than you think. And, you know, it's not just the, oh, my dog's sick in the car, but it's, oh, my dog's vocal in the car, or won't settle down, or doesn't want to get in the car. I mean, there's so many issues involved around car travel. You know, we started off like thinking we'd be writing a mini book and then suddenly it's like massive. (laughs) It just grew and grew and grew because there were so many things we wanted to include. And, you know, and we still, you know, there's some sections we said, look, you just need to go to a professional to do this because it's so complex. But there's, you know, a lot of information about lots of different things in it. So although most people associate bad car travel for dogs as being sick, you know, that's that's one out of many problems that um, that occurs and makes our lives and the dog's lives, you know, not very pleasant. And, and these days, you know, car travel is one of those essential things, isn't it? Either to get to the park or get to the vets or you're traveling to see family. You know, we can't really avoid it very, very much. But if you've got a dog that doesn't cope in the car, it can be miserable, <laughs> really miserable. Yeah. Bless yeah, awful, awful, because it impacts on his quality, his or her quality of life, your quality of life. It's horrible. Yeah, interesting. When I was we were writing the book, I just adopted our latest dog, and he had travel sickness, so I applied all of our ah. information that we put in the book to the dog, and now I've got a dog that's confident in the car, so, you know, it, I, it, proves, it proves it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, one of the things you mentioned early on is sort of, is it, is it that important is is your if your dog you know if maybe he isn't sick so he's not actually putting you out that much he doesn't he's not sort of messing up the car is it that important um and obviously yes it is but tell us tell us why well obviously it's important if you've got a dog for example who's like jumping around in the car it's a real safety issue yeah, yeah. You know, although in this country we're not legally obliged to restrain our dogs obviously the highways agency suggests that we strongly suggest that we should but it's such a distraction and there are so many other things that we need to be aware of when we're driving. You know, having that dog distract us in the back of the car or leaping around or whining to, you know, it really does cause, a, you know, possibly a major problem. And obviously, if it's going to cause you to have an accident and you've got, oh, you know, it's it's just unthinkable. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and also I think we... we just don't really realize the impact that sometimes first journeys have on cars we pick a puppy up we may have had to travel a couple of hours journey to get that puppy from a breeder because that's the best breeder we can find for the dog that we want but we forget that that's a huge thing for puppies so the first few journeys they'll have maybe will be being away from mum and litter mates for the first time with people they don't know they might be sick in the car you know they might be hungry they might need to wee you know all these things then the next few journeys they're going to the vets and having a vaccination we can set up bad associations really quickly yeah so it's yeah. you know even even that first journey we need to prepare them for that yeah yeah we need to make sure they're comfortable and you know there's loads of things we can do to ensure them to have that first good journey set up those good associations yeah definitely i mean thinking back when we got um all of our dogs um and it was just because 
to be honest, it was because we were excited to, to have this new dog and we wanted to sort of be with them straight away. Um, when If they were a tiny puppy, they were on somebody's lap. Um, yeah. And if they, the um, one was a little bit older, um, Jenny went in the, in the actual boot. It was a, you know, in a, in a Range Rover, in the actual boot with them. But once we'd got Buddy home, particularly, um, he's, he was fine on his first journey on, on Jenny's lap. But then the next few journeys, I can remember, and it's that far, that's long ago now that it's in the mists of time and I'd kind of forgotten until I started reading this book. But I would put him in the boot because, you know, that's where, then that was where your dog went. That was what I thought happened. And the dog just went in the the boot. And he'd know this because I know this. Um, And he, poor thing, he used to get so nervous, I think, lonely that he, he would be sick and he would soil himself. And that was on a yeah. fi- oh, it was on a five minute. I mean, well, it was two minutes from the house, and then eventually we'd get to where we were going. There was three, three more minutes, and he'd be in a right state. But again, we cured that by Jenny rode in the boot with him, and with company, he was fine. We were very lucky that we found the solution. You know, he was just really, really lonely, and to for him to be in that state, obviously he was a very young dog, but he's actually, and you know, now I can see he's a very bomb-proof dog but the the car thing just threw him completely and the being on his own in this car was awful for him to begin with as i say we were lucky we we managed to find the cause we managed to solve it and you know he's okay now and he, he was very he was okay very very quickly but it's not always that simple is it because i mean reading your book there are many many possible causes aren't there Absolutely. You know, one of the things you need to do is turn detective, really, because there isn't one complete cause you can say, right, it's that. It could be health issues, anything from an ear problem to arthritis. Even in young dogs when they're growing up, there's certain conditions like panosteitis, you know, pain in their legs, like almost like growing pains. You know, it can just be really sore for them. You know, it could be that they're just generally unbalanced and we know that puppies you know they can't walk on a on a normal surface let alone yeah. one that moves you know, <laughs> they grow up they're all over the place put them in a moving one and it you know it just makes them feel really sick it might just be that they're just really sensitive to noises in the car so the sensor of you reversing or you know we found that the pressure in the car as you close the door cars are so well built these days when you slam the door the air pressure can actually cause discomfort to them it might even just be simple Silly things like, you know, they see this disembodied eyes looking at them as you look in the mirror. Yes. <laughs> There's so many things that it could be. Yeah. Um, and we always strongly suggest in the book that the first thing you do is obviously get a good vet check. Go to your vets and say, look, this is happening with my dog. Can we just out rule out any health issues? Because we found having talked to lots of people, you know, um, owners and professionals like vets, etc., but two of the major problems that are linked to poor car travel are digestive problems and balance problems. Mm. So if your dog can't physically balance on a leash or has trouble on slidey floors or, you know, generally just doesn't, isn't put together right, you know, their confirmation maybe means that they, you know, they struggle to, to walk and balance um, or they've had an injury or something like that, that can be a real cause of, of anxiety in the car. Not just the motion sickness, but obviously yeah. just being able to settle down. Some of these dogs freeze in the car. Some can't lie down. Some can't stand up. You know, yeah. all these things. But also then, you know, just look at your diet. Just make sure your diet's right. And sometimes just adding a, a good probiotic in can really help um, if you've got motion sickness. But like I say, the first port call is always vet check. Make sure there's nothing underlying there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've you've said it is a. a an important thing to tackle and I had I'm not actually generally motion sick but strangely enough after I'd had Jenny after I'd had my baby um, I, I became very sensitive to being driven and it's taken years and years to sort of gradually subside and I do seem to be better these days but it is utterly miserable and wretched because you not only feel sick, I, I didn't actually, I was never sick, but my head would, I'd start to think I, I'm not well today until I recognise what it was. And you do feel awful when, when you, ha- and as I say, I, nobody would have told from the outside. You'd have looked at me and gone, you're perfectly all right. And I felt so miserable inside. Um, mm-hmm. And it's horrible, isn't it? So it is important to, to tackle it. But 
if your dog isn't one of those who actually throws up, there are other signs to look for, aren't there, that whether he's happy in the car? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, obviously the ones that are really recognisable, the fact that the dog doesn't want to get in the car at all or, you know, he's very vocal or very restless. But just little things like, you know, licking their lips or, you know, um, just needing to be close to you, just all these t- Tiny, look at the tiny little things. If your dog doesn't willingly jump in the car, settle down, have a big snooze, you know, because you're going on a long journey and they know they're not going to the park. You know, if they are reacting to things outside, if they are constantly changing position, you know, and it's so difficult for dogs in cars because cars are designed for humans. Yes. They're not designed for dogs. So yeah. often the seat is too narrow or, you know, like us, they like to be facing forward or back. So they have to be faced to the side, say, if they're in a crate. That can cause huge problems as well. So there's just so much to think about. But, yeah, look at the minute little details of cars and in the car and, and how they feel, their body language and all these things. Because, you know, if we can tackle a problem at a low stage, it won't have, obviously have to escalate into something that's a bit more huge for them. Yeah. So, yeah, they're not always obvious, the signs, um, or it's things that people go, oh, my dog barks in the car, but they're absolutely fine. Or, you know, my dog, you know, will do such and such. And, and, and for me, I look at it and go, no, actually, they're not particularly happy, are they? But, you know, it's like yawning, panting, you know, refusing to lie down. You know, these are just some of the things that we look at. You know, yeah. Even just little whines can be an indication that they're not little. They're not very happy. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously you go up to the massive ones like vomiting and diarrhea and weeing in the car and you know all these things being destructive. People go, you know, my dog's being destructive in the car. Well, you know, actually that's probably because they're not very happy in the yes. car. Rather than that, you know, if they're not destroying things at home, then you know, obviously there's a there's a reason for that. So we need to investigate and get to the bottom of it. Yeah, yeah. Now. The book is full of practical advice. I mean, there's there's huge sections on sort of what you can do. And it's, I mean, it, it's it's going to help so many people and so many dogs. Um, one thing that I, I sort of jumped out at me was ramps, because you say you know make the make the car have good associations for the dog, and sort of can the dog yeah. get into the the car? Okay, and um, this this is something that's affecting us now because my dog's fourteen. Um, and a, a Labrador, and and you know he's not a huge Labrador at all. He's a nice shape, but he's he's too big for me to comfortably pick up, and he doesn't like being yeah. picked up. So we're trying ramps now, and he has mm-hmm. done some agility years ago, but he doesn't like our ramp. And I I've sort of said right, we we're still working on it with him, but in the future, any dog I have that's going to be too big to pick up at any point is going to use a ramp occasionally, right from the word go. But obviously, if they need the ramp. Anyway, that's, you know, for whatever reason, um, it's, it's handy to have it. So ramps are sort yeah. of one aspect of actually letting them access the car in a comfortable way. And again, there's a lot of steps you can take to make the actual car journey more, more likely to be enjoyable for them, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And going back to the issue with the ramps as mm. well, you know, even with puppies, I mean, obviously letting puppies jump in and out of the car with their bones are still yes. developing isn't a great idea. So actually using a, a ramp at all stages of life is it's actually really important i think because mm. like you say not only they're going to be happy when they're older but also and, and used to it but also you know you're protecting them when younger which means when they're older they're probably going to be less likely to have maybe some of these issues of old age anyway because they haven't had so much pressure on their joints but yeah lots of things we can do in the car a position in the car for example a lot of dogs don't cope with being in the boot because the swing of a car is much more extreme at the boots or, or like you say if they need to be with you my dog has separation anxiety so he, he can't even cope being in the boot of the guy he has to be on the back seat oh, um he has to be close to you and he's much much happier being traveling now now he's you know getting a bit better and he goes well i'm i'm i might travel in the boot today but it's his choice you know yeah. he can kind of do that um so you know it it's a case of sometimes just what we do is fill in the gaps behind the seats and have a hammock so he's not falling off the seat he's comfortable he can see us he can get in a comfortable position you know either looking at us or looking behind um you know and just simple things like non-slip bedding you know if you jump in a car and then it slides around as you're going around corners it's really unsettling Mm. so making sure you've got some non-slip proper bedding in there 
that's comfortable, but it isn't going to cause a problem. You know, it's not going to move around excessively. It can be really, really, really helpful. And simple things like cracking a window before you close doors because of those that, I say, that air pressure. You know, sometimes that can just really help just making sure there's that, that equalising of pressure before you do that. A lot of dogs as well really don't cope with the boot lid coming down towards them. Mm. So in the book, there's a whole section of training that for them to be comfortable with it. Because it's really scary, this massive thing coming down towards you. And one of the, often the things that happen is the dog starts to really, really bark and be reactive. So people want to tell the dog off because it's barking. But actually, they don't recognize it's a fear issue. So we need to break that down into stages to help them to be more comfortable. Um, or, you know, say, travel them in a different part of the car. But everything that we do, we need to set up for success. Even if it's you decide you want your dog in a crate in the car because it's safer for them. We're not just going to bung them in a crate in a car. We're going to train the crate in the house, make it a really safe, lovely place. You know, before we even start to transfer it into a moving vehicle, you know, we need to do that prep work. Yes. Um, so, yeah, tons of stuff we can do. Take smelly yes. uh, air fresheners out of <laughs> the car, for example. My goodness, I can't stand them. They mm. make my nose stream and my eyes hurt and itch. What does it do to the dog who's, so, yeah. you know, smelly so much more than ours? Yeah. So just think dog, really. Think canine and see what it would be to help them. Sometimes even static in the car can be a big problem. Mm. So there, there is some evidence or some people will say that having a, sta- a static strip attached to your car can really help because obviously if a dog gets in the car and every time it gets in the car it gets zapped with this little kind of whack of electricity that can be really frightening yes. some dogs too yeah. so yeah you know, really kind of get detective like I say and really sort of think about the, the whole issues and what it might be sometimes we don't know but if you go through the stages of everything we do in the book you might sort of accidentally sort of hit on the right one as it were so you know don't be afraid to kind of use lots of methods don't just stick to one yeah yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I love that um, about sort of take those smelly things out of the car because you, as as humans, obviously, you know, we we have things that appeal to us, and you, and as long as you say as they don't set your off your allergies or set, you know make yeah. you react. And um, you know, a lot of people, the air freshener. Oh, it's a great idea, and I always think that this that sort of we we see a clean sofa if we vacuumed the sofa and we put a clean throw on it and all that it's great but to the dog it must be oh you've made this horrible i'm going to set about sort of making it smell nice again and it's as you say it's getting into that dog mindset and looking at things from their point of view how is this going to affect them definitely definitely definitely. um now one of the big sections of the book is finding a solution um and as you said there's there's a lot of detail in there and obviously that's that's where people are going to need detail um so there's again there's lots and lots of if if you find that your dog does have this you know problem whether as you say it's a it's a emotion sickness or a some other kind of, of thing and actually i can you saying about things in the car that the dog doesn't understand like the boot coming down buddy doesn't mind the boot closing but the the windscreen wiper he, he yes. just does not. And again, you take windscreen wipers for granted. But whenever that yep. flicks in the back, he um, even now, you know, he'll sort of he won't go for it as much now. But when he was younger, he would sort of try and, and bite at it. And that's something you yeah. just take for granted. But the dog has no yeah, notion of it. Obviously. It's funny. Yes. Yeah, yeah. For them, it's not funny. No, no. But there are lots of solutions on offer, aren't there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, in the in the book, there's a massive section on training, just the, the stages you can do to get the dogs to be comfortable. Yes. And that's something that lots of people look at and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I, I know how to do that. But we've kind of really broke it down because one of the big problems, I think, when I've worked with clients is that they they take the stages too quickly. So I would say to them, you know, you want to go from your front door to your front gate, not from your front door to the moon. You know, you've got yes. to take it yeah. two stages. Yeah, they'll, like they'll put the dog in the car and he was all right around the block. So they decided to go for a mile. Well, it's mm. too much. Yeah. You know, you've got to really, really, really break it down. And sometimes it's beneficial to take a break from training in the car. So, you know, take two weeks off, do lots of preliminary training in and around the car, but don't even do any car journeys. You know, really set them success up. So, you know, all the work I did with my dog actually was prep work. But when we went back in the car, then we could go through the stages a lot quicker and easier. Yeah. But for yeah. people who may have things like emotion sickness for their dogs, you know, we've listed lots of things in there, not just the veterinary stuff, because we found sometimes that it's quite hard for timings of things like 
you know, sedations and tranquilizers. And we don't really want to be using those anyway. They're kind of last results. So we've we've contacted a lot of professionals, top in their fields, you know, with things like applied zoopharmacognosy, batch flower remedies, homeopathy, um, even acupressure. So these are the things that you can look at and go, oh, actually, if I'm in the car and it's safe to do, my dog's beside me and someone else is driving, if I just work this point or I do it before I get in the car because I've got no one to travel with, as it might just settle my dog down. So in the book, we've got two sections on the acupressure, for example. One is stuff, that's my dog playing in the background. Um, stuff is, you know, for, for motion and sickness, but there's also acupressure points you can use for dogs who are just fearful yes. and anxious. Um, so, you know, although we always recommend, obviously, going to a practitioner who knows all this stuff, we put stuff in there that we know people can use without causing any problems and yes. like so we've ex- we, they, they've been written or checked by the top professionals we know that they're correct so we've had you know obviously the vets and stuff holistic vets and stuff checking them for us yeah yeah so sometimes it's a case of just taking a few of these you know some of them the, the alternative remedies we can't mix and we've stated in the book which ones you can and which ones you can't but you know the other obviously massive <laughs> A massive section that we put in obviously is the Tellington Touch with me yes. being a yeah. practitioner. And that's obviously just so practical. You know, we've put in the book lots of the, the tea touch body work, we've talked about groundwork. The groundwork is actually leading exercises that really improves um proprioception and balance and confidence and all these things, coordination. And we we set up around the car so we can again get a different association with the car um we can help them with their balance um you know we and years ago karen found this out because she had a dog that um, was travel sick and she did agility with this dog hmm. um and th- her then travel sickness really improved because oh. the dog's ability to use their body better improved wow. so you know, if your dog is really out of balance doing groundwork is a really really brilliant way of helping them balance up and it will have that side effect of being they'll be much better in the car yeah yeah so yeah there's tons of stuff to do yeah i like the fact that there are you do give you know countless um alternatives from just give them a a, a tablet because yeah. you know as you say they they can't have side effects and that can you know be even worse um I love the, the fact there's so much, you know, as you say, the Tellington Touch and, and the um, acupuncture and things that you can do yourself for your dog. And it's explaining yeah. great detail. It's lovely. Um, and also you sort of what not to do. For example, often we will, will turn to ginger. You know, you, you're told ginger yeah. is, is, it stops you feeling sick, but we shouldn't do that for our dogs, should we? Well, it's a case of what we don't want to do, you to do is self-medicate with ginger because you can, there can be quite serious side effects yeah yeah so um it's a case again of talking to a vet whether that's a conventional vet or a homeopathic vet or someone get a correct dose get the right format of the ginger so actually i use ginger for my dog um when i was training him but i used it in a form of a floral water so it didn't go in him i sprayed it in the car oh so you know it, it, that and I knew that would be safe but I wasn't going to be giving him ginger extract or raw ginger or something because you knew yeah it can and it can actually make some dogs sick mm. surprisingly oh. so yeah be careful I mean the odd ginger biscuit's not going to kill them mm. <laughs> but if you're going to go down that route just make sure that you've spoken to a practitioner and you know the dose and you know it's safe because and also you can't give it if they've got certain other health conditions and stuff as well or if they're having an operation because it can slightly thin the blood and things like this so yeah you do have to be really careful people always think herbs are natural so they're safe it's not always the case you need to know they can be really powerful you need to know side effects dosage and the only way that you can make sure that you're completely safe is is seek professional advice for that yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and i mean as, as you say a strong message of the book is you, you need to go slowly. You need to go at the dog's speed. We, we, as humans, we, yeah. just, we want that quick fix. We want just a magic wand and bang and it's done. You're not necessarily going to find that, are you, for the, this problem? No, absolutely not. But then, you know, every dog is an individual. So yes. we've just literally received an email from someone who pre-ordered the book, got it the day it came out, 
put everything into place, you know, that we said in the book, because she had a very nervous traveller. And now she's got a dog that's comfortable in the car. So it's mm-hmm. taken her a couple of months. Yeah. You know, if that or a month, because what, what we're not, we're just at the end of January now. So the book only came out on the 1st of January. So it took her a month. Yeah. yeah. And now she's you know, absolutely over the moon, which is so lovely to hear. Yeah. But yeah, it, it depends on the severity. It depends on your uh, understanding and your empathy with your dog. And you know, the, like I say, the speed you go at. But some of them can get fixed really quickly. Some of them are going to take a little bit longer. So you've just got to think about that individual dog, really, and, yeah. and just work at their pace. That's the important thing is that you want to set them up for success and make sure that they um, they can cope with it. And at any stage, if it's not right, then you go back a stage. Yeah. And you go back to the bit where you know they can be successful and then you work up again from there. Um, yeah. But, absolutely. yeah, it is a case of curtailing our human um um, wishes of things to happen really quickly because yeah. nothing happens quickly, does it? No, no. For me, with Mr. P, he mm. probably took a couple of months to be a lot happier in the car, you know, and also sometimes it would depend on where we were driving. So, for example, we knew he was fine on straight roads, but um, roundabouts were a bit of an issue. Mm. So we decided, you know, we would pick routes or we'd go very steady around roundabouts. yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, now he's fine with them, but you know, it's those just little things you have to really think about um, when you're when you're planning your journey. Sometimes, or when you're doing travel training, make sure it's a quiet road, a straight road, a road that you can stop really quickly on if you see that they're starting to struggle. Um, or make sure it's a it's a journey that, if you need to, you can stop, abandon the training, walk them home, and go and pick your car up in a little bit later. You know, yeah. you need to be that flexible with it. Yeah, yeah. And I love the the um the piece about sort of don't assume that it's you know that your driving is is perfect actually. It might be your driving. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly with it, even with us here. I mean, yeah, my fiance he's a brilliant driver, but he does drive a little bit faster around roundabouts than I do. So for a while Mr. P could cope with me driving around the roundabouts, but he'd still be sick if Pete did. Oh. <laughs> and it was a good lesson for Pete. You know, he now goes much slower around roundabouts and, and looks at the dog and, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, we think we're great. And, and even if we just get a little bit irate with other drivers because they got in our way and cut us up, obviously the dog doesn't know you're shouting at them. They no. think they're shouting at you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you have to really think about your emotions as well so staying calm it's so hard to stay calm for example if you've got a dog that's barking yeah you know how often can you be completely patient you know i sometimes spend time in the car we've got a bit of a journey and and the only issue mr p has in the car now he does get a bit whiny because he's a bit excited mm. so then some days i can be brilliant with him like good boy let's settle let's do this you know other days I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't cope with it. Yes, because we have good days and bad days. Oh yeah, so, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, we just have to remember that obviously they're not doing it just to annoy us; they're just doing it because they're really struggling. So yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's a brilliant book. Um, and thank you. Really enjoyed it, and as I say, it's going to help so many people. Um, where can people find out more about the book and about you online? The book is on Amazon. It's on Kindle and uh, paperback. So you can just search for the title or just put in my name, Tony Shelbourne, and it will come up in the list of my books. Um, also, you can go via my website. There's a link via my website. It will take you through to the page on Amazon as well. Um, and that's easy. It's tonyshelbourne.co.uk. Smashing. Also, the book series, because we've got a – obviously, this is a series of books. So help my dog. So the first one was help my dogs scared of fireworks, which you know, and mm-hmm. this one. And then we're, you know, the next one we're writing is about um, dogs trashing the garden. So help my dogs sort of destroying oh. your garden. Um, yeah. and so we have got a, a, a website for the whole of the book series, which is Tony Shelbourne and Karen Bush dot dot com. Smashing. We'll put and some there's also a Facebook page as well. So <laughs> lots of things coming up. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Because it's it's such a good idea, and you you present it so well, and there's a wealth of practical advice in the books. So it, it is a great series. It is, and it's basically we just pull all of our knowledge and all of our professional friends' knowledge together about everything to do with just one issue. Yeah. So everyone's yeah. got everything in one place because often people buy a book 
because there's they want just one chapter in a book. Oh, oh. So we thought, well, do you know what? Let's just do lots of mini books, even though this turned out to be not quite so mini. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just just everything you need to have for that particular issue with you know coming at it from loads of different angles. And you know they're proving really popular because you know, people just have, like you say, you know they really struggle with cars. So and they might have a bit of information in this book and a bit of information on that book and lots of different information on the internet, but they don't quite know how it all fits together. So you stick it all in one place, and it's just really helpful. And, and like I say, the feedback we're getting already has been amazing. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And as you say, there's there is so much information out there on the internet, but it's it's a problem sometimes knowing whether it's authoritative is it you know is it safe so to have this in this book from you and karen and as you say you've spoken to experts and other other experts as well it's yeah. safe information isn't it it is we know as at the, the, uh, the time of printing it was completely correct and also you know obviously we've not given you any information that is dangerous because you know, we've checked with vets and on, on various experts to say okay what can we tell people that they can go away and do at home without causing a problem like I say all the way through the book it always says check with a vet check with a vet check with this professional you know go with a, a professional dog trainer or a behaviourist or a t-touch practitioner you know there's loads of help out there because people find they're really isolated mm. you know they think nobody else has got this problem and there isn't any help out there but there is there's tons it's just going to the right place and I think also these days this, this is me my little slight bugbear is that yeah, people go on to a Facebook page and they just ask a problem. They've got a problem with the dog and they ask it and they get some information that isn't probably quite as good as it yes. could be if it came from a professional. Um, and that's scary to me because that people are getting really bad advice. Yeah. You, know, like you yeah. have to go to a professional and you have to go to a reward-based trainer or someone who's got the science behind them that can really help you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A pleasure as always, Tony. Thank you and good luck with the book. Thank you very much. Well, Tony's advice is definitely authoritative and sound. And the books she and Karen Bush are writing are going to help so many people. The full title of the book we've been discussing today is Help, My Dog Doesn't Travel Well in the Car, Solving Motion Sickness and Other Travelling Issues. For more information about Tony and her books, we have all the links she mentioned on the Dogcast Radio site. And whatever the problem, don't just suffer on or let your dog suffer on. Because there is help available, but do make sure it's reliable. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Do you ever read a book and think, no, it shouldn't happen like that? Well, check out the latest innovation in romantic fiction, Macy's Choice, which puts you in charge of the plot as you make life-changing decisions on the main character's behalf. At the end of each chapter in Macy's Choice, there are always two options, and you choose what happens next. With over a million and a half words, that's over 5,000 pages, 256 chapters, and 128 different endings, Macy's Choice is an e-book you can reread again and again, making new choices each time to vary your experience to find love with each of the three heroes. To find out more, visit macyschoice.com. That's M-A-C-I-E-S-C-H-O-I-C-E dot com or search for Macy's Choice on Amazon. To err is human. To forgive, canine. Deirdre Caramonti is an experienced veterinarian who is certified in canine rehabilitation and acupuncture and is particularly interested in the fields of canine rehabilitation, obesity and geriatrics. So she was the ideal person to talk to about how we can best support our dogs through what can be a very stressful time. Today I'm talking to Deirdre Caramonte. Hi Deirdre. Hello. Hi. Um, now we're going to talk about something that I think is a scary subject for most um dog owners it's certainly a scary subject for me which is when when your dog needs to have surgery how can we help them how can we make that process as as easy on them as possible because you know it is you hear your dog needs surgery and it, and it is a sort of a, a panicky time so if we can give people some some practical advice and some some steps they can take themselves that they might feel empowered so what kind of practical steps can we take 
you know, in, in, that, in those early days when we just hear, and obviously this is a really tricky question because surgery, there's, you know, small surgeries and big surgeries, but um, if you can be general, what kind of steps can we take to make that an easier thing for our dogs? So I think the first is listening to what your veterinarian is saying. It is fairly astonishing after about 20 years in this field that we will go over many topics from the beginning, the diagnosis, our recommendations for surgery, if that's the correct answer, what's to be expected up until surgery, the day of surgery, the day after. And a lot of times it isn't written down for the client. So when the client goes home, they heard, you know, some big words and forgot much of it. Yeah. So the first thing, if you can remember to take notes or ask for a summary, it's hard because not everybody uses the same software. Not everybody is, um, has online medical records. However, it is important to understand that your veterinarian is there to absolutely help your pet, their patient, and you. Second would be to relax. It is a frightening time, and those are very easy words to say, but unless it is a life-threatening situation, you do have the time to go home, breathe, and relax. Third, everybody, myself included, tends to go home and jump onto the Internet. (laughs) And while it does become challenging at times because you can't write the scenario for every single surgical procedure. It is a fabulous wealth of information. It is not a wealth of advice. There's a difference. (laughs) So you can write down some of those things, print out pages, but understand that your veterinarian is in the best possible position to know what's going on with your dog or cat or horse. So um, having that open relationship and it's absolutely fine to ask questions and it's never wrong if you are confused or concerned to get a second opinion. We, and I think any medical profession don't offer that up right away, but I think that we're selling ourselves short because there's nothing wrong with a second opinion ever. Yeah. Yeah. That's lovely to hear, actually, because, you know, sometimes it's it's really hard to, to think, oh, gosh, my dog's got to have surgery. So, so to have that. And again, possibly the thinking time before you even get the second opinion. You know, you've had time to process it a bit more and you can take a bit more in. So I think that's brilliant advice, actually. Yeah. Also, um, everybody likes to talk to their veterinarian and veterinarians usually employ a very good support staff technicians who have worked with the doctor for many years front of the office staff and part of their job is to navigate with the client through these difficult times and don't you know don't cut them out uh they sometimes are better at slowing down and discussing everything from start to finish because for example technicians their job is nursing And after you get your dog or cat home from having surgery, you will be doing the nursing. So do not overlook those other employees in the veterinary clinic. Yeah, yeah. Again, absolutely, yeah. And I think sometimes people do forget that and you focus on the vet. And you're right, there's the whole array of professionals there willing to support you, aren't there? Yes, yep. Yeah. And I mean, to, to go back to this, the point you were saying about, you know, the Internet and, and we come home from the vet and we've heard a lot of big words and we we go on to, you know, the instinct is I'm going to go on to the Internet and, and find out about this. And I can remember when um, Buddy, we found out Buddy had a, um, Buddy's my Labrador, we found out he had a, a growth on his adrenal gland. And so, he okay. would, yeah, he would need um, an adrenalectomy, the, the adrenal gland um, removed. And it was as tempting as it was to go onto the internet. I knew that we'd actually found it quite early from a, from a, a scan because of these uh, mast cell tumors that he had, and so okay. he, he was asymptomatic at that point. And I think that most dogs who present with that um, tumor, with that growth, have symptoms, and it makes the, the surgery to remove the adrenal gland a bit more, you know, have have not so good odds. And so although. I was desperate to go and find out more about it. I sort of thought, no, look, I don't need to know the general odds and chances and, and all that kind of thing, the statistics. I need to know his specific 
situation. And, and that was actually quite reassuring. I find it quite difficult. I'm a control freak. And I find it quite difficult to sort of say, yes, help me. I'm giving you my dog because you know how you know better than I do but that was actually I found that quite reassuring and and it was still frightening but to actually say okay you know this more than I do I'm not going to go and read and frighten myself I'm going to trust you and I'm going to say please help me with my dog and that worked so well for me yes well I commend you um (laughs) for the other 90 percent you know you bring up a a very good point that you were following uh, mast cells so you would have done an abdominal ultrasound just sort of to check that out yes it's very important to understand that not every tumor or growth will have something show up on blood work. So I'm sure that your dog's blood work was normal. You were doing a scan looking for more mast cells and you found a small adrenal tumor that we would have called an incidentaloma, which is, oh my, Um, well, we weren't looking for that, but an abdominal ultrasound definitely gives us an insight to the other organs that don't have an enzyme or a marker that shows up on our standard panel of testing. Um, you know, we, we really do the best we can. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and owners sometimes without the education would say, well, you know, your blood work didn't show anything. I don't want to pay for it. And it's just, you just like in human medicine, there's not, there's not a blood test panel that can test for everything that might possibly go wrong. Yeah, yeah. And we're all on the same the same side of helping the family pet live as long as they can, happily and healthy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I I was lucky in that we we were referred to a specialist clinic, and I I just knew and felt we were were in good hands, and you know that was a a huge comfort actually. That um, although it you know those words when they hit you on the phone they say oh you know we found a tumor and it's just the world turns upside down but you know it's yes as you say listen I don't why are you saying that as well listen to what the vet's got to say because I, I tend to travel with um a little recorder a little digital recorder because obviously I see people with dogs and think oh I, I don't want to quit interview here so I'm in the habit of traveling with this little con- uh, little recorder so if you know something like that happens and I think do you know what I'm I'm I know I've gone into panic mode here I'm not going to remember this and so I get my little recorder out and say, look, do you mind if I just record this? Because I'm, I know I'm going to panic now. But we can all do that on our mobile phones, can't we? Yeah, it's a great piece of technology now. Um, as well as sometimes clients have difficulty expressing to me something that their dog or cat is doing at home. And I'll have them record it and send it to me. Yeah, it, it is. It's marvelous. It, it's, it's a great tool, isn't it, to aid communication yeah. between us? Definitely. So, I mean, I guess you need to sort of, obviously, you need to have a a veterinarian that you've got a good relationship with. And if you haven't, you know, why are you there? Why are you still there kind of thing? Um, So what else do we need to do? We need to tell the veterinarian or ask them to tell us? Um, Well, I think they're usually in, uh, I think new grads are just um, sometimes a little more nervous about presenting every option and they're they've come right out of clinical years of using the academic and bigger words and sometimes for the owner it's okay to ask the vet to slow down and repeat that and yes. you know also yeah. ask for a pen and a paper and write it down but just having the vet you know walk through everything that will happen you know the best offense is a good defense and vice versa so when everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing when they're supposed to be doing it it usually works out much better. I think one of the important things is a lot of dogs and cats have their own odd behavior, which, you know, as a one-off might sound abnormal for any other, you know, cat or dog. But usually when cats or dogs, when there's something wrong with them, they have a change in their own normal behavior, whatever their own normal behavior is. So, you know, your cat went from sleeping in the window sill for the past, you know, several years and all of a sudden does not want to come out from underneath the bed. You know, still eating fine, drinking fine, but, you know, this mm. is a change in the behavior, which a lot of times the vet won't be able to find anything on physical exam, but it's definitely a point to get a baseline yes. in many parameters and then have the owner sort of 
follow daily routines of the animal, take some notes, report in weekly, because those are going to be easier to track. Mm. And I guess as well, sort of make notes beforehand so that you can tell the vet. I mean, like you say, if you, if you can video it sort of and send it to them, that's great. But try and be concise because, you know, I, I, uh, I have good communication skills, as you can tell. I can, you know, babble for hours. So, but I'm not telling the vet a story. I need to sort of know in my head what I need to say and, and make that quite concise to tell them, don't I? Well, yes, but even if you don't know what it means, it's still important to note any recent changes. That's usually the hallmark of something brewing something going on that we need to pay attention to. And it's uh, one of my favorite examples that owners overlook and vets don't question just because of my training. And what I like to do Mm. is uh, the onset of arthritis in our patients. So uh, for a cat or a dog, a cat that you've always fed on the counter, Um, All of a sudden, the cat's having trouble jumping up on the counter. So you say, well, okay, we'll move the food dish down to the floor or lower level. So now we've accommodated them. We didn't really think it was, you know, important. It kind of made sense. Maybe they're having arthritis, but that's a time to mention it to the vet. And similarly, when you come into the vet office for that routine checkup, the vet is going to ask anything going on, any coughing, any sneezing, weight loss, and you're going to say no because the vet hasn't thought to ask, you know, have you changed goals or things like that. So um, it's one of my most favorite examples for, for cats is when you change location of the water dish or when your dog can't jump into the car anymore, so you're lifting the hind legs in. They can put the front two feet in, but not their hind feet. And those are really the, the times where we actually want to become much more proactive in that animal's care. Yeah, yeah. And I guess things like that creep up on you you know changes where it's a gradual change where you you gradually sort of oh we're going to put the food a bit lower on he needs more help getting into the the car it sneaks up on you and it's not till you actually stand back and review when you know when the vet asks the question you go well no actually yes it it is getting worse it's it's just you don't always see that change do you right and and it does make sense you know your cat or dog is getting older and they're going to have changes but for the purposes of rehabilitation therapy, which is my uh, one of my favorite things, is that's when we need to actually do it. If you suddenly had difficulty getting into your car or going up the stairs, you would go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Now they don't they don't have a job to do like you do, but um, that's really the time where you can make a significant impact in the rest of that animal's life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so if you know, if we're faced with the dog's got to have surgery, the actual day of surgery, I always think is horrible. One of the things, you know, I, I sort of always want my dog back as soon as possible. But once or twice, they've actually said he would be better if we kept him in overnight. And actually, they've been right because they can give him more effective painkiller. But what I've really appreciated is the communication. They've, they've phoned me up and they've told me things. So I think that's really important, isn't it? That you, you make sure you know what the deal's going to be if, if they keep the dog in. Would you, th- would you say so? Yes. So that's a, a very popular topic where I am. And one of the things is unless there is 24-hour care on site, then you you would absolutely take your your animal home. If there is 24-hour care, then absolutely they can give more effective pain management. They could do pain scaling uh, to know if there's an improvement, a decline. And um, I think one of my first dogs, I didn't listen to my own advice, and I took my dog home after a surgery, and Mm. we were both miserable I, every, you know, squeak and sound she made, I, you know, completely overreacted and I wasn't very effective as an owner or a caretaker. And the fact that you have trained people that their job is to stay awake at night, that's their life cycle and, and deal with this sort of thing. Um, it's much more, much more, um, relaxing for the animal. Yes, they're not at home but they are getting much better pain management. They are being nursed appropriately. Um, And if there happens to be anything that goes wrong, there's a doctor 
nearby or, you know, within a few minutes of a phone call to address it where that would be difficult for us at home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I, I always think that, for me, the mark of a, of a, a caring vet or, or nurse, you know, whoever I'm seeing, is that if they are bothered about the pain, the pain care afterwards, because that's really important because sometimes if you if your dog's quite stoic and sort of puts up with pain it, that's that that worries me they we really need to to make sure they're they're as pain free as possible afterwards don't we yes and some of the pain medications just like in people will actually cause them some make them groggy yeah uh, some actually make them a little bit loopy so they might vocalize but it's not a pain vocalization Mm. so uh the the attendant is able to actually palpate the incision and see is this really incisional pain from from what we did today if it was you know an orthopedic surgery um is there a fever which might contribute to the animal not feeling well Uh, Can we look at their respiration rate and listen to their heart rate to say, are these um, also elevated that would indicate the animals in pain versus just a little bit out of it, a little bit gorked on the pain medication? And that's that's relatively impossible for an owner to do at home and for a vet to, you know, phone call with the owner, ascertain, you know, the origin of that. What, what, I mean, you said, you know, vocalisation isn't always a sign of pain. What signs of pain, when we, if we've brought our animal home um, after surgery, what do we need to look, what would it be an indicator that maybe the, the, the painkiller isn't working? I would say definitely respiratory rate and panting. So normally an animal, depending on what breed and what they're used to, will only take, you know, 20, 24 breaths per minute. And sometimes these animals are now, you know, panting or just below, you know, 60 breaths per minute. Mm -hmm. Uh, Second, their heart rate will be elevated, you know, for a cat and a dog, that's going to be very different. Hopefully these animals are wearing e-collars so they cannot get at their incision. Yes. Uh, But some owners think that they they want to to remove the e-collar, which is wrong. Uh, Mm -hmm. These animals will go at their incision or try to get at their incision because something is, is painful. Yeah. And vocalizing. So that's one of the reasons why being in the hospital after a surgical procedure uh, or a sickness is sometimes, even though frightening for the owner, especially if there's not a 24 hotline to check in, um, it's better for them to be um, where somebody can watch them. And that is their job to watch them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're good at it. Yes. And for my uh, spay and neuter um, dogs and cats, and the owners have kind of spent all this time training these dogs and spending a lot of time with these dogs around the clock, and then they have to drop off their dog to get spayed or neutered. I tell them, if you're going to go home to an empty house, don't go home. Go to the movies, go to dinner, hang out mm. with a friend, because when you go home and now your house seems so empty, um, you're going to worry a lot more. Yes, yeah. It, it is, it's a very difficult time because you, you kind of feel, but I shouldn't go out to the movies. I shouldn't go and do anything nice because, you know, the dog is suffering. But you're right that there's no need to add to that suffering if you can distract yourself. Why not be kind to yourself if you can? Yes. And, and like, that's when your phone's going to be handy because I'm sure you're going to leave your, your mobile number with your bed. If there is a problem, they will contact you. Yeah. It's. I think that's that's why it's vital by that point that you know you've got a good re- uh, relationship with the vet because I mean for example um, when Buddy was in and uh, it was I think the first time they'd kept him in overnight and they phoned me at the time they said they would so I wasn't really worrying you know thinking oh, are they going to phone and they phoned but then I was able to phone back later as well and check so that was fine but they phoned up bless them and sort of explained to me he'd eaten and he'd weed and he'd pooed you know and to a, no- to yeah. a non-dog owner why do you need to right. do that but as a dog owner that's the kind of information you want isn't it a- absolutely yeah exactly yeah yeah so I knew they were on my wavelength then <laughs> so We've got our dog back. Um, they've had the right pain care. They've been kept in the right amount of time. What what kind of things can we do? And again, this is going to be a, a, a there's going to be a wide variety here of, of things we need to do. But what kind of care might they need in the days and possibly weeks after surgery? I can't think of a surgery that 
differs in this advice, but Mm -hmm. usually keeping them much quieter than they normally are. If they've had an abdominal procedure, a human would be really uncomfortable. They have, we have much, much different abdominal musculature and a lot of these dogs and cats come bounding out of the hospital after a spay and they want to go right back to roughhousing with other animals in the house. And it is important to let them rest and recover because they're going to go home on pain medications and they're going to be feeling pretty good. So it's important to follow veterinarians' uh, suggestive timelines of how long to keep them quiet. Orthopedic surgery or skin wounds that need to be healing, a lot of those situations need careful, controlled leash walks. Yes. Only five minutes out to go to the bathroom, come back, no roughhousing, no climbing up the stairs, no jumping into the back of a car. And then accordingly to the timeline, you can extend your walk by a few minutes each time each week. And the big no-no is if they are wearing an e-collar, it needs to stay on. They are annoying that they've, they've come a long way in terms of different types of comfort. It is more often than not much more painful for the owner than the dog or the cat. The original hard plastic ones, which are still my favorite as I think they are the most effective if they're fit properly, bang into doorways, scrape on the ground, get disgusting, but faced with the alternative of having a ripped open incision, an infected incision, the 10 days to two weeks they need to wear that e-collar is much better than the alternative. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I mean, I, I, I do you know, try and follow exactly what the vet said. But I'm, I must admit, we have had slight mishaps in that we've we've taken the, the big collar off to sort of, you know, I don't know, give him a rest or perhaps he was eating or something. And I haven't been quick enough to get it back on. And the one time he hates, my dog hates me to be there. He, he'll, he'll toilet out on a walk, but in our own garden, he's like, could you go away, please? I don't want you here while I'm peeing and pooing. So he saw that the door was open, took the opportunity to go out and pee and poo. And I thought, oh, he'll only pee and poo and he'll come back. So I went after him. And before I could actually get to him, yes, he peed and booed. And then he turned straight around and started biting the stitches. And we had to go in and have one or two <laughs> redone. And I was, it was my own stupid fault and I won't do it again. You know, I've learned. But, right. it, you know, with the best will in the world and, and, and in the best um, regulated households, you know, you you take your eyes off them just that second too long. So it is, even though they, you know, we call it the cone of shame, don't we? But that collar is much kinder, actually, than taking the collar off, isn't it? Yes. It is hard to predict which animals will and will not go after their incision. And since I'm not a gambler, uh, I will leave the e-collar on until they are perfectly healed. Uh, even one or two days extra because... Like you, uh, my first dog neuter, I rescued a little Shih Tzu poodle, and I thought that, oh, he will not go after his neuter incision, and it looked like he had a pound of hamburger meat at the incision, and at that point, you can't really do anything but let it heal over weeks. Yes. So, yes, owners have to, uh, that's really an important, uncomfortable, but important piece of advice. Yes. Yeah. And I've learned as well, I, I need to, you know, talking about toileting, because obviously at home, our garden's enclosed and we just open the door and, you know, you can go and toilet. But now, occasionally, I will go out as well and just, and, and occasionally even on the lead, so that, you know, you know, this is going to happen from time to time. And it's, and it's nothing unusual. It's not something to panic about, because that was something, I, th- I think that was possibly the, after the first 24 hours, that was one of the things that he he found the hardest because he would just look at me and go, I, I felt like he was looking at me going, go away. This is unusual. I don't need you here. So I've tried to get him used to that now. Yeah. Yeah. They have very good facial expressions to um, wheedle right into our sensitive hearts. Yes. And, um, make us forget about our brain and, um, and that process, but it's just uh Read that discharge instruction sheet anytime you you think about uh, changing it or, or, you know, go online. I'm sure there are many horror stories of owners that have done like you have. Absolutely. Listen to the vet. So I guess the the overall message here is try and stay calm, 
and listen to the vet, do you think? Yeah. Um, you know, part also, one of the things that we don't prioritize very well is um, this notion of pet obesity. We, we talk about it, and it's interesting that the top 10 canine and feline insurance company conditions reported every year are either caused by or exacerbated by obesity. Mm. And yet obesity is not listed as uh, one of the top 10 reasons for presenting to the vet. And there was an amazing lifespan study done in paired Labrador siblings that spanned over 13 plus years that they took paired litter mates and fed one ad lib and the second one they kept to a a good body weight we would call body condition mm. so they were um, thin you could feel their ribs but not see them they had an abdominal tuck if you looked above them they had an hourglass figure and in every single pair I think there were 13 pairs in every single pair the normal slender body condition score those dogs lived longer at least a year longer than their overweight sibling yeah. and since they had the same genetics or genetic coupling, every dog that had uh, a condition that would pop up arthritis or hypothyroidism or something like that, the skinnier dogs got them at an older age. Yeah. So besides just good, better, longer living, taking care of an overweight surgical patient it's more difficult on them during the surgery, especially in abdominal surgery when you have to go in and the organs are surrounded by fat and you have to close up all that fat, which is dead space, that rehabbing them, making them much more pain-free and getting them mobile after surgery is much more difficult with an overweight patient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is one of, the, again, we think of kindness, you know, I have to say, I can equate, you know, kindness, you know, with my daughter and my husband. Oh, you've had a bad day. Let me get you a biscuit. You know, let me get you a coffee, whatever. And, and I've managed to, to try and, and rein that in with my dog. And I'm so glad my, my Labrador is now 14. He turned 14 in December. Um, wow. I, yeah. And I've managed to maintain his, <laughs> his I, you know, not ideal perhaps, but, you know, a, a better weight for him than I can for myself. And I'm so glad I did. It does. It is hugely important, isn't it? Yes, it's very important. And sometimes it's a difficult uh, talk to uh, discuss with your clients if, if they are also overweight. It's yes. hard not to feel <laughs> in an odd position. Yeah. But our job is really to do the best for our patients. And luckily, so many, there's definitely a population of animals that it is mind over matters. Yeah. So a cup of popcorn could look just as tasty as three kernels of popcorn. Yeah. Or the ice cream uh, doesn't look any different than the green bean. For them, it's mom has something, I want it, and they barely even taste it going down. Yeah. So yeah. discussing with your veterinarian some lower calorie treats is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know I can I can feel that there's there's another interview for another day here because obesity it is for ourselves <laughs> but for our, for animals as well. You know, we we're infecting them with yeah. it now. So I I think actually you know I, we need to talk another day and I think that's a that would be a brilliant topic to do. Did you where can people find out more about you online? I am doing some consulting for a company called Assisi Animal Health. So mm -hmm. my bio is on their website, assisianimalhealth.com. Definitely they can write in through the uh, company's website and it can get forwarded to me. It's um, a great newish animal health care company and they like to think about uh, longevity and pets and... Um, <clears throat> incorporating the owner and the veterinarian and the patient all in a sort of um, embracing circle, circle of care. I really like that approach of we're all working together for the best of our dogs. Fantastic advice from Deirdre, and I do hope to talk to her again later this year. We have the link to Assisi Animal Health, which Deirdre mentioned, on the Dogcast Radio site. Both Buddy and Star have had various surgeries, and while it has needed management and planning... The operations they had enhanced and in some cases lengthened their lives. So all the worry and effort was worth it. If your dog is facing surgery, I hope it all goes smoothly.
a dog can express more with his tail in minutes than his owner can express with his tongue in hours. Would you like to get or stay fitter and raise money for a great cause at the same time? Well, if so, do think about entering the Run Hackney Half Marathon and getting sponsorship to raise funds for the Mayhew Animal Home. Run Hackney has been going for four years and has attracted growing support. It's now established as one of the top ten half marathons in the UK. It takes place at Hackney Marshes in London, is flat and fast-paced, and the route is lined with supporters, while live entertainers offer distraction to runners. If you run for the Mayhew, you can make a huge difference to the animals in its care. The Mayhew is working towards a world in which animals are respected and treated well, and you can help make that happen. If you still have an appetite for more running, there's also the British 10K London Run, which is scheduled for the 9th of July this year. It's always hugely popular, with entries regularly filling up ahead of time, and is now in its 17th year. The event sees 25,000 runners from the UK and abroad running and raising money for charity. Details of both events can be found at the Mayhews website, and of course, we have a link to that on the Dogcast Radio website. That's all for now, so until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What did the dog say to the fleas? Stop bugging me.